Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. The courtesy, huh? the courtesy I extend to doctors. I even I even wait before I hit the record button. Oh yeah, you are. This is a house of learning. Doctors. So so respectful and nice. You know. I try, but welcome everybody. It's episode 87 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I am Jacob Bratz with J.O.B. Morelia. Tonight we're joined by the baking extraordinaire, the genetic madman, Dr. Travis Wyman. Good evening, gentlemen. What's going on, dude? This has been a long time coming. I've wanted you to come on for a long time. We're only now, only now, just getting to it. You know. Oh God, y'all! There's a bird in here with me. There's a bird in there, with dude. You? There's a bird. A little. There's a Justin. There's a little bit of like a ring when you talk. I don't know if that's being picked up and recorded. What about or not, what about now? I don't hear it right now. Uh, I caught it for a minute. Mm. Yeah, it's not clear to me. It might be the damn bugs outside again. Nah, I think you're good now. I don't hear oh, okay. it. Okay. So. Um, so, the first question, and the first thing I want to cover, and I'm going to make sure Katie hears this because I want to get this cleared up once and for all, is velvet, red velvet cake actually just chocolate? Yeah, pretty much. Don't don't <laughs> say it. It's not true. I know there's some sort of secret in there that makes it different. Food coloring to make it more red. No. <laughs> no. Blah, blah, blah. This has backfired horribly. Yes, it has. I bet it's not. Katie's la- I, bet I don't. Katie's laughing in your face right now. I don't now. care what anybody says. It doesn't taste like chocolate cake. It tastes like red velvet. Someone it's has to back lighter, It's lighter on the chocolate than a typical chocolate cake, but it's still a, basically a chocolate cake. Oh, man. I, no, I'm, I'm not, not going to lie. I, that's, that's news to me. I can't even tell her now because she's going to rub it in my face until we die. Dude, I will message her on Facebook if you don't tell her. Because every year for my birthday, she makes a red velvet cake, and it's the best red velvet cake I've ever had in my life. And she keeps insisting that it's just chocolate. And I'm like, it's not just chocolate. It's not. But I was like, who better to ask than the doc? Because he'll know. Chef doc. So I had to, that's been on, like, ever since I was like, hey, man, come on the show. I was like, the the one thing we got to take away from that episode, if anything is red velvet cake. And I just took it all away from you. And you just ruined it. So I guess we can move on. I guess we'll... <laughs> well, the show's over. Yeah, seven, y'all. Thanks. <sighs> Shortest show in history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but hopes and dreams were just shattered. Before we jump into the other important stuff, I guess, in this episode, um, this show is brought to you by Steve Snakeshuary, Venom Hot Sauces, Check him out. He's Steve Snake, uh, Steve underscore 
Snakeuary on Instagram, and then you can find him under Snakeuary on Facebook. He's got a website. Um, Check out his hot sauce. It is the bomb. And I think he's actually he's actually got a Fourth of July sale right now. Oh, so if you, I think I saw it on Facebook. I might be lying. If I am, I apologize. I'm pretty sure I'm not. So check that out on his Instagram and probably on Facebook, and get yourself some hot sauce on sale, man. So. But who else? Who else is the show brought to everyone by oh, Jake? Oh, I do. I do believe this show is also brought to you by MP Cages and Exotics, where your one-stop shop for all your cages and racks and everything you want, custom. You know, you got I was talking to Sean today. Yeah, I was messaging him saying, "Here's what I'm going to need soon. Let's figure something out. Figure out what I need to get. Get what money I need to get stashed away." Yeah, I tell the you, best. The, the the best thing about Sean is how easy he is to work with. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, his work is incredible. If you haven't seen a recent enclosure he's done, you should check it out. It's you know he some, bends it, like Gumby. It, it, he's he's like he he's an artist, man. He he made a rock background out of foam for like a six foot cage, and it's it's awesome. I Did he really? Foot. I didn't see but, that. Yeah, he made he made like a rock background. I oh, don't man. I don't know if he posted pictures of it, but he I, I think he sent it. I think he sent it to me. But yeah, man, he, he he does all types of custom stuff, guys. So definitely hit him up if you need cages or racks. I personally have two racks from him. I'm getting two more hopefully sometime this year. If and, you can uh, dream it, I'm, he can do it. Yes. So hit him up for anything you might need. And uh, I don't want to necessarily start the episode on a downer note, um, but, but I'm sure uh, many people have heard that my friend uh, Justin Wilbanks at Appalachian Arboreals passed away unexpectedly um, Tuesday, I think it was. Um which brings up a good sort of, I guess, talking point that we can all sort of touch on, and that is, <clears throat> you know, is it? Are we thinking about what happens to our collections if something happens to us? Personally, I I have. I, I live with my girlfriend uh, Amanda, and I have already spoken to her about if something happens to me, what to do with the animals. So. Yeah, because I'd I'd want to go like a step further and have it in writing or something. Oh right, yeah. I don't know, but that's like I mean, uh, I've had a a friend um, get in contact with his mother and asked what what could what could be done to help, and she basically said, um, "We're trying to figure out what to do with the snakes." Um, and so that had me thinking, you know, do you have something in place where if something happens to you unexpectedly, God forbid? You know what? The, what's the the like? If if something happened to me, I can already tell you right now. I'd be like, uh, Jake can either take care of them or take you know what you need, and then divvy it up between our friends. I don't want them to just go into random people, you know. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> having something, some sort of planning in place is probably wise because we never know when we're gonna go. Yeah, I, I pretty much had the same conversation uh with my with my girlfriend i told her i was like you know that there's three people who can basically choose what they want and that's justin riley and billy like the three of you guys can pick whatever you, you do want Phil to like keep that. oh and phil of course <laughs> phil phil's in there too y'all 
get your pick of the litter, take what you want. And then I told her, leave it up to Justin to sell the rest, you know, or the I called dibs on echo. And, yeah. You, he's all yours, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that was something we actually talked about this year. So yeah. ironically, but, well, I mean, you have that. And then Andrew Amon passed away, uh, at the beginning of the year, um, you know, Forrest passing away, like, you just you don't know when like how much time you have and so it's wise to as soon as possible just get something like i said something in writing i don't know if it necessarily has to be like legally notarized or anything like that but um just have something basically says if something happens to me x y and z people can help either sell or take care of or whatever you know instead of it just being we don't know what these things are worth we don't know where to go we don't know who to talk to you know, I, I just, I can't imagine the kind of, it's already a crappy situation, but it doesn't help when you now have living beings and you don't have, know a damn thing about them to be able to, you know, to, right. to take and, care of them. You know, and the selling part is, is one thing, but then like, you can know how to sell something, but you don't, not everybody knows how to ship a reptile. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is no easy task. Like it took me forever to, you know, get it down pat. And even now I still pause. I'm like, okay, did I do all this right? You know, and somebody just walking into and having to deal with all that. I mean, like I can, on top of the stress of having a loved one uh, pass away and then having the stress of a bunch of, a bunch of animals that you need to do something with, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's not something you want to leave in question, I guess. Um, and it's just, I, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Travis, do you have anything in place for something like that? I mean, I don't have anything in writing, but I have spoken with both my wife and my oldest, you know, basically like you guys. Mm-hmm. They've got the names of the people who, you know, can basically walk in, take what they want, and then, you know, who to get in touch with about moving stuff out and getting things distributed. Yeah. It sucks, man. Justin was a buddy, man. I talked to him on a regular basis. He he really helped me out with my first clutch of chondros. Um, you know, I kept the, the handful. I only talked to a handful of people about what I should be doing, you know, incubation-wise and stuff, and Justin was one of those guys. So it was very, yeah, very remember... sad to hear about that. Yeah, I remember back when you were getting in the getting your first Condro uh, clutch, man. You were that's a, that's all. I, pretty much the only name I heard come out your mouth about it. You mm-hmm. know, it was Justin and and Harlan. You know, and I mean they were man, pretty much it. it. I mean, I talked to Luke and David yeah. a little bit, but that was before you know we really talked a lot. And uh, right, you know, Justin was yeah, I knew was a big he was help. a big he was a big influence, a big help on a on a lot of people. You know, everybody, I personally, I hadn't heard a bad thing about the guy. Um, I, I am sad to say I didn't know him on a personal level. Um, I hadn't spoken to him much, you know, if at all, but I did know his name very well, you know, from you and, you know, other people in the Condros. Like I knew his name very, very well. Um, and, but never heard a negative thing about him and just seemed like an all around great guy and, it's it sucks man it's so hard to lose another another person in the hobby you know it's yeah ah. i mean everyone talks about how much 2020 sucks and it's like 
it just I mean, keeps adding. Political stuff aside, whatnot, like yeah, it's not the best, but is it really that bad? But then you you know, you lose friends and stuff like that. And then it's then it's I like, mean, okay, you can you can officially say it it really isn't a great year. Yeah, I mean it's this is the most death I've experienced in in a, a year and five in my entire life, you know, between mm-hmm. my grandmother, my dog, uh, several people in the hobby now, you know, it's just like people keep dropping off. Hell, even my dad just called me today and said um, uh, a friend of his from many years ago passed away. I knew him when I was a kid. And uh, who just... was that? How? Huh? Did you know, it was a how? It was a what? How? How? H-A-L? No, I don't know how. Oh, okay. Because my dad had a buddy from high school pass away, too, and I knew him, and it's just like, what is going on, man? Yeah. People keep... I don't know, man. 2020 sucks. That's that's all I got to say. But that was just something I wanted to talk about, because I'm sure that's not something a lot of people really think about, is, you know... That's something most people don't think about. I mean... We all are convinced, you know, we don't think about the longevity of our animals by and large as a hobby to begin with. We really don't think about the longevity of our animals after we're not here. Mm -hmm. So, Right. And it's one of those things, especially if you're, you know, in, you know, the younger part of your life where you're still relatively healthy, you know, it's not something that you... That's so only anybody really thinks about because it's one of those things that like you you don't think it could happen to you until it does. You know, nobody wants to think about it. It's not like I blame anybody for not thinking about it, you know, but it's it's one of those conversations, yeah. one of those hard conversations you need to have it's with your happen. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I'd say doubly so with, you know, this whole pandemic going on. Cause, oh, yeah. I mean... <clears throat> I know what you hear on the news, but I also know what's actually going on being in the field myself. And I mean, this isn't just old people. They're young people who are getting hit and they're getting taken out. And it's, it can be sudden and it can be sharp and it can be weird. I mean, they're seeing like 20 and 30 year old people dropping from strokes from this thing. Oh, wow. So, you know, it it's causing weird blood clotting in people. And, you know, we all think we're immortal when we're young. And right now, I wouldn't say that you're immortal to anything. <laughs> yeah. Man, if you think about it, the, the only reason our species is still here is because of our size and because of our brain. Other than that, we are soft. If we were like half our size, and if we were just a tad bit dumber, we would have gone extinct a long time ago, dude. <laughs> I mean, come on. We'd be chimpanzees, and <laughs> like we're soft-bodied. If you think about it, it, really doesn't take much to to kill somebody. Like you fall far enough, you can't swim, like any of that stuff. It's really kind of a marvel that we've that we've made it as far as we have. Surprising and incredible at the same time. <laughs> That's just my yep. my thoughts. But 
what do you do? Well, I mean, move, you're move, yeah, moving on from the depressing stuff. Yeah, what's like? So you are by trade a? Is it safe to say you're a geneticist? It's safe to say that. Um, so my doctorate is in microbiology and molecular genomics. Um, by trade, I trying to think of the easiest way that I could explain this that the hobby would understand. Um, okay, I, I, got, I got it. So fish head, they've got that test for NIDA. Right. Mm -hmm. PCR-based testing. Um, I work in a laboratory that designs, develops, and uses assays like that to test for any number of different things. Um, we also do broad-based sequencing of samples to find what's in there through that detection. So we'll run an assay kind of like the NIDO assay just to tell if something is there. And then if we get a positive hit, we'll further process that sample through um, in the sequencing level and try to clarify, you know, what family or what specific branch the species comes from. Because, uh, you know, like with any species, you'll have little population characteristics. Yeah. Things. And it's mostly an infectious disease type of stuff, but we also do, I mean, we've done some viral discovery work and we've had weird things where we've collaborated with uh, a Smithsonian group looking at a mummy. Wow. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Are we ever going to clone, like, real stuff, dinosaurs <laughs> oh, <gosh>. and people? <laughs> um. I think it would be easier to reverse engineer a chicken into a dinosaur than to go the full Jurassic Park methodology <laughs> because DNA doesn't really survive as long as they would like to pretend it does in the books. Right. <laughs> well, like there's I love that, how you said books instead of movies. There's, that was, that was, I don't like that. There's that picture that floats around of the, the lizard that's like several million years old in the amber... And I don't, I mean, it's like, yeah, that'd be cool if we could somehow bring that back, but like, it's got to have a yeah, shelf but, life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the DNA in there is probably so fragmented and toasted that it's not necessarily going to be viable. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like the oldest that they've gotten out has been stuff that's been in like woolly mammoths and things like that. Yeah, and I mean those those died off fairly recently. Like those aren't even that old of a of a species. Yeah, and you know, and that stuff is really really fragmented, and so trying to imagine going millions and millions of years beyond that is kind of a pipe dream. And the team that went to you know do that, like they knew they were going to be dealing with something crazy, so they designed their tests. This is actually a really funny story. They went to a butcher shop and picked up a salami. And they figured that if they could get DNA out of the salami after it had been processed and cooked, and salted and stored and everything, that then they might have a chance of getting mammoth DNA. So that's how they built their protocols to sequence mammoth DNA. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like that's actually probably not a bad, bad idea. 
Like that kind no, of, I mean, kind of like, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I feel like the woolly mammoth might be a, a little bit more of a challenge, but I mean, I think it'd probably be easier I, than anything else, actually. I mean, then, then something that's millions of years old, yeah. But I feel like a salami might be slightly easier. But I don't know. I'm not a scientist or a doctor, so. It's, well, uh, it ended up working for him. So hey, hey, I mean that's the important part, right? <laughs> it's awesome. But what do you uh, what yeah. are you currently keeping? Um, I so you got I'm a little bit of, of everything. Noise. Yeah, I'm kind of a Noah's Arkist. Um, I have a about half of my collection is ball pythons. Maybe about two thirds of my collection, depending on you know how many babies I've got kicking around. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a chondro, I have two brittles, I have a doomerals, I have a blackhead, I have the rubber boas, I just picked up a pair of calabars. Oh yeah, I, have, I saw those. Uh, some gray bands, an egg eater, I have two different species of beak snakes, and I have the kukris. Um, and then I've got a tarantula, three different species of cockroach and the kid has a trio of hognose and a pair of crested. What kind of tarantula is it? It's a Brazilian white knee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Man, you do have a little bit of everything. Don't you? Yeah. Well, the tarantula was actually my ex's. She, for somebody who hated spiders, she wandered off at a reptile show one time and came back with one. And then when we split. She just left the spider behind, so I inherited the spider. Nice. <laughs> and she's a giant monster, you know. And at one point, I was like, maybe I should breed her since she's a nice big female. But then I, you know, read that they have like one of the largest XX out there, and I was like, why the hell do I want to have potentially fifteen hundred <laughs> baby spiders? Oh my! <laughs> so, then I said hard pass on that, and uh, <laughs> I'll just keep the, I'll just keep the one. Yeah, that's uh wow, that's a lot of babies. I always wanted to breed some of the tarantulas I was keeping, but I never made the effort to actually find a pair and pair them and then hope the male doesn't get eaten and then deal it, with all the it babies. It seems like it seems like dealing with the babies would be so difficult cuz there's so daggone many of them. Well, a lot of people like, they'll keep how, the babies together for out? a while and let them call each other. Like they'll, they'll Yeah, they, they do the the self-cannibalism thing and basically let the collection winnow itself down to a manageable level. I gotcha. You know, I mean, to be honest, like it, it makes sense cuz you know, it's survival of the fittest essentially. You know, and that's nature. Yeah. yeah, but when you're dealing yeah, with like a communal tank of of Indian ornamentals, like when they're small like that, mm-hmm. those things are so damn fast and they're pretty they're pretty hot. Like when you yeah, got a ton of them in a tank like that, yeah, I mean, that that's that's what we call a headache. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. So you said you were primarily with ball pythons. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. The, well, I don't know that I would say that I work with them per se. Um, more of the collection is ball pythons. Um, and I do that, I mean, one, it's just, it's fun to do all the different colors and patterns and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and being a geneticist, 
it's real fun for me. Oh yeah, um, I can imagine. But it's also something that I can do just, it's more, it's something that keeps me occupied while I'm growing up all these other things and getting them settled in and learning their habits and stuff so that I can start working with these more obscure species to try and breed them and get more captive-based populations of them going. Right. And so like my rubber bow is, they take four or five years to mature. So I've got another couple of years with them. Um, the kukris, I know there's a guy in Europe who's breeding them. There's one guy here in the States who's breeding them. I talked to him just to see if he had any pointers for them because I think mine will probably be ready this year. And he was just an asshole. <laughs> His answer was, well, why don't you go to the person you bought them from? And mine are wild-caught imports, so the importer's not going to know how to breed them. And see, because I'm asking so, you, asshole. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that. I just replied, well, I got mine as wild-caught imports, but thanks. And... You know? Man, I I hate that so much, man. You know, it's this is like, why nobody I, I wants guess, to play with you. Yeah, you know, it's like me. I'm pretty much an open book. You know, if I have information that you're looking for, I will happily give it up. You know, but I just I feel like we don't progress as a hobby at all. Like with that type of mentality and doing that type of crap, you know, it's like that's not how that's not how we grow. You know. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think that's, you know, these are basically the two sides to the hobby. You've got the people who are in it for their own glitz and glam. And then you've got the people who are in it with, you know, they're looking to, to move the hobby forward. They're not just looking to move themselves forward. Right. And, you know, I, I chatted with a couple of other people I knew and one of them, she, had a friend who had worked with Kukri's before and he had a couple of papers and she shot him right over to me. And, you know, it, it already agreed with most of what I had come up with just by, you know, studying their native habitat and their seasonal cycles and stuff. But it also pointed me in a direction that I hadn't thought about because I was, you know, assuming that they would be breeding after the monsoon season and it looks like they tend to breed before the monsoon season. And then when I stopped and thought about it, I should have figured that one out on my own because kukris, by and large, they eat eggs and smaller amphibians and reptiles and things. And, you know, well, when is there going to be a huge boom in food yeah. during the monsoon? So you want to breed to hit to have your babies hatching out, you know, during that monsoon season when everything is most available for them. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Not after the fact when everything right. is already stopped breeding. They gotta, gotta be ready before the party sense. starts. Yeah. yeah See, that's what I like so, about what Travis does, though. He has an appreciation for the oddball stuff. Yeah, um, and I also like how you... Instead, instead, like, obviously you went to people for advice, but you didn't just go on a forum and say, hey, tell me how to do this. Like, you studied their habitat. Any tips? You know, you see their, yeah, you studied their habitat, their their cycles, what type of temperatures they go through throughout the year. It's like that, that right there is exactly what everybody should do with every species you own. 
you know, like. You know what's funny is I was thinking about that in the shower the other night. Because that's where I do all yeah. my deep thinking. It's my shower think tank. Thoughts. And I was like, people are always complaining about, like, they want to know the temperatures and humidity, you know, and what they should be keeping at. It's like, dude, we have Google now. You can look up the weather literally anywhere you want to at any yeah, given point in the year. I'm like, you want to know what yeah. the temperature is in Sulawesi right now? Guess what? It's right there at your fingertips. Yeah, I actually keep, I know, obviously, Apple, their weather app isn't 100% accurate. I know that. You know, it, it is what it is. But it's relatively okay. I have uh, places, I have Maruki and West Papua um, on there to just watch how their temperatures are. and just you know, I look at it frequently just to see where they're at, depending on the time of year. Granted, they rarely change at all. Right, but um, you want to know, but, like, seasonality you know, as far as, like, wet and dry season. You get exactly. the forecast, and you can tell when it's obviously raining more than it was. And, and it's like you can find this information literally in seconds. It, like, blows my mind. It's like this yeah, shouldn't and, be that difficult. You can, get, you can get all kinds of stuff. I mean, you can literally find the photo period for any place on, in the yeah. world for every day of the world. You know, like every single day of the year, you know, so you can find, you know, that Meraki, like literally the change in daylight over the entire year is plus or minus 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you can get it to like the second if you're really that anal and you had, you know, I don't know if they have smart outlets that you can time that perfectly on a minute to minute basis, but I'm sure someone out there has got, you know, access to a little mini computer that they could rig up if they were feeling that crazy, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not that crazy, but I do have smart outlets that I have set, you know, for different timing patterns to try and emulate as close as I can for some of these species. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think about it in terms of like Boiga and, you know, the soon to, to be Ganyasoma, you know, stuff like that, where their, you know, humidity does play a factor and does matter, you know. I Instead of just looking up a, a care sheet or something that says, oh, yeah, keep them at, you know, 60 to 80 percent. It's like I can go look at what Sulawesi is right now, and that'll tell me everything I need to know. Yes. And then um, continue one caution that I would throw there, though, is remember that a lot of these temperatures that we're getting are, you know, they're taking it generally like six feet off the ground or at shoulder height off the ground because that's, you know, how most people are dealing with temperatures and heat and stuff. So mm-hmm. your more microclimate, you know, the ground is going to be hotter or cooler or in an actual forest. Right. It might be a little more stable or more humid because you've got the canopy and the understory holding in the moisture, blocking out some of the sun. But it can still it can point you in a direction. Yeah. Rather than just being completely off target. Right. Yeah, it gives you a general at least a general idea of what they go through. It's like obviously like I'm sure at the heat of the day. You know, a lot of snakes are to go hide away to where it's cooler, you know, but, you know, I think that's where having a temperature gradient in your enclosure is, you know, an important thing. But See, I think it's kind of cool, though, that you can, you know, at any given time, if I want to know what the what the weather's looking like on Bioc, I can literally look it up. It's right there. Yeah. 
Like yeah, I think that's actually kind of cool as hell yeah. that I can see what it's what it's actually like over there currently. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the the world is at our fingertips essentially. You know, like all the knowledge you can pretty much ask for is out there. You know, it's just about applying yourself and you know learning. And learning is hard for some people. Yes, learning yes, hard. Is. Simple Jack. You ma 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 make me happy. <laughs> what is there? Have you ever though, when you're with your ball pythons, like you've literally somehow used your like your job to your advantage as far as breeding, where you're like, if I can make this combination happen. <clears throat> like how do you how do you use your Jedi geneticist tricks? <laughs> um, so my job doesn't ever directly come into play with my collection, um, but understanding genetics at the level that I do does like. Again, we're, we're going to go for an analogy here. Have you ever seen a beautiful mind? Uh, no. Mm, I know of it, I but I have not I seen it. Either. Well, yeah, same. Okay, let me. No, 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 no. Then that, that analogy was, sucks. Let me find another one. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I, I'm sure there's another one that's got something similar. But anyways, in the movie, like, it shows him just like when he looks out a window and sees people playing football, like all of the angles and directions and force equals mass times acceleration stuff is flying through his head. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how my brain thinks, you know, when I, when I look at the snake, I see the snake as it is, but I also like, I see it in terms of the gene and the genetics and not just like the morph that it is, but other aspects and part of it. Cause you know, when you're dealing with, well, Morelli is a good one because your collection is genetic as well. You know, when when you like stripes, you tend to pick your striped offspring and breed them more towards a striped outcome because you like stripes. So all of your animals then are carrying some level of genes that contribute to stripes. And if anybody buys a striped animal from you, you're introducing those genes into their collection. Now, they may end up not liking stripes, and so they're going to take it another way. They'll weed those genes out. You know, um albinos i i like albinos i've always liked albinos my first my first commercial commercial purchase when i was 14 was an albino corn snake and you know with albinos contrast is what really makes an albino you want that real sharp yeah bright white against real bright bright yellow and you know you can select normal looking animals to pair to your albinos to push for those deep darks that are going to make those bright whites and those brighter yellows that are going to give you that contrast between. So that aspect of when I look at my animals, I'm not just seeing, you know, this is an albino that I can use to make another albino or an albino candy woma whatever i look at it as you know this is an albino and it has you know, it's got decent contrast but if i put it to this normal animal 
I can make hits that'll be even darker, and then I can fold that back into this over here, mm -hmm. which also carries an albino gene and is super dark, so then I can get a really high contrast albino, and then I can bring the candy allele into that and get really deep, dark purples out of my candino instead of having sort of a washed out pale pinkish candino right so it's it's essentially selective breeding like within morphs you know i feel like the hobby as a whole has kind of two sides you have the people who breed the normal stuff you know Us. for for yeah me and <laughs> me justin essentially you breed normal stuff for certain colors, patterns, X, Y, Z, then you have people who are just morphs. And then you have the sliver of people like yourself who kind of put them both Cheat. together, which I think those are, you know, that I think it, I think it's really awesome, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I apply it to, you know, other things. So like my male brittles, I picked him up from Nick cause I just wanted the brittles. Um, and I got, one of the Afors line because I really like that brighter red yeah. with the reduced black to it. Um, and then a while back, Casey Cannon hit me up and he had the, he had a couple of females and, you know, Casey, one of my other hobbies is carnivorous plants. I've, I've passed a whole bunch of plants to Casey just because he was into them and Casey wanted to get me back. And so he, you know, he offered me one of these female brittles and I sat there and I looked at them for a long, long time. And I picked the one that looks like it's probably going to develop up with less of that black. Mm -hmm. So that when I do eventually breed them together, I will hopefully have, you know, it will should have the nice black pinstriping around that, you know, that nice beige patterning, but it will still hold red throughout most of the body. Because I really like the red in brittles. You know, I know there are people out there that really like black and brittles, and they they do the same. They do the opposite of what I did. They look and they find those babies that have already got like a significant amount of black in them, and then they hold those hold on to those ones so that they can breed for you know brittles that are 50, 60, 70, 80 percent black. Yes, right. I love dark brittles, man. The more black, dark the brittles are nice. I just I like the red more. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say, personally, uh, I guess this is completes the triangle. I really like the more lighter orange ones. Like, I, I don't know what it is. They, they're so cool. I really love like the the brick one, the brick red ones. You know, really, you know, nice red. But man, there's something about those light orange ones that just like blow my mind. So you really like that one that Casey posted that he found in Australia? Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say the, the wild ones seem to to have that going on a lot I more. Mean, yeah, that one. It it, it was like almost yellow orange basically yeah, yeah. there's like no black yeah, I, in that thing i i guess like the, i guess i like it the most because it's the it's the color i see the least i guess in in brettles i don't know I, I really you know the large majority of them are either really dark or mostly red i i rarely see the more orange ones and man they're just oh, they're wild but with that said, you know, in poplin carpets, I really like the black stuff. So, I mean, th there's that. I mean, I well, it sounds like you've got a Brettles project there, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have Brettles anymore. No, not anymore. But it's the best snake ever, dude. They, they are, they are cool. I just, I, I yeah. 
Superior Morelia. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did agree on that. We so. did finally settle that. Yes. Rattles take the cake. Yes, they do. But I think they're I, they're an awesome snake. I still think one of the coolest things that anyone's ever talked about on the show is Andy Grossman talking about his selective breeding of just normal normal balls. Yeah. Like I think that's awesome. Just like breeding some normal ball pythons, you see something that kind of stands out, just kind of rolling with it and yeah, I feel like I'm a lot not, of people will probably good. roll their eyes at that, but I was like, "That's that's yeah. awesome." Oh, I'm sure there are, and that's most of the fun. people who do that are the people who are just solidly morph driven. And you know, ball pythons, in one respect, they have been a bane on the hobby because of that. But you cannot deny that they have also brought so many people into this hobby. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you know. You gotta take you gotta take the good with a little bit of bad. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, man, I, the more I keep seeing ball pythons, man, I keep seeing Bill Stegall post some, um, and Michael Pinnell just hatched out some screamers, man. Just they look so cool. And I, every time I see them, I'm like, man, they're just so darn pretty. You know, it's made because I really like the Mojave stuff. Yeah, I like Mojave too. I, I I I really like the Mojave ball pythons. And there's that thought of me that's not about like, man, I could select the breeds pretty cool mojaves you know but i'm like i did so I, I can't do it you know i got i got too you much got spurge spurge is there yeah yeah no he she is great i think i think he and she but uh yeah she's she's a little rock star man growing up a little weed spurgina yep but what's great. what's the appeal i mean i'm assuming obviously the morphs and genetics play a big part in in why you like balls but or Royals, I should say, for our friends in the UK. Um, like, what do you do? Is, is there something about them that you enjoy outside of the, the sort of the genetic aspect? Like, because I've kept it's some mostly, and I've never really understood the hype, but that's just me. No, nah, it's mostly just the genetic aspect for me. I mean, they're nice because they're a more docile. Uh oh. You know. <laughs> oh wait, I thought it was. Be happy be happy to take your face off. Um why do you only have one chondro? Because I it's just one of those things. I once upon a time <laughs> no not because they suck. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we've all we've all seen that, you know, that National Geographic where they just had one curled up. We all saw the old nature shows where they had them. I had that. I saw that, and I always wanted one. Um, and back when I was living in Atlanta, I made friends with some of the guys at Atlanta Botanical through my plants, and one of them was also in their – well, he was the head of their frog department. And through him, I met up with a guy who, you know, real low-key guy, but he had a lot of really nice snakes and stuff. And just one day out of the blue, he's like, you know, I've got this chondro that that doesn't really fit in my plans. You know, he would be interested. And I was like, hey, shit, I'd be interested. I've always wanted one. It's so, the best Morelia, of course. I picked it up. And, you know, I've just, I've had her kicking around, but, you know, I never really wanted to try breeding them. I just, I really like what she is. She's just a nice, pretty green snake. She's got a nice, big planted tank. She lives up in the bedroom and she just hangs out. Um, you know, I do, she's 2003 animal, so she's, oh, wow. 
she's not a young yeah. <laughs> book by any stretch of the imagination. And she's a, she's actually Denver Zoo progeny. And I don't just like, I haven't looked hard, but I, at the same time, I have never seen any other Denver Zoo Aru chondros out there. So part of me kind of regrets that I never bothered to try pairing her up just to keep that bloodline going. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure I really want to try breeding a 17-year-old chondro either. Hey, man, that's prime. <laughs> that was my first time. Right? That's prime. She's yeah. at that good age, nice and ripe. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll call Ryan Young and send her up to him since <laughs> he seems to be able to get these older animals to go like nothing doing. <laughs> And he's into Aru's too, so he probably have the, the same appreciation for it. Yeah, he does like Aru. But it's I I am uber appreciative of the fact that you are into rear fang stuff too. Like the beaks. You ever kept any boiga or anything like that? I haven't kept boiga. Um, they're. I don't know. They're a little, and I, I feel kind of crazy saying this given that, that I have the kukris, but Boyga are a little bit skitsy for me. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've got that sort of mentality where they can be good, they can also be real bad. Um, like they I said, are rather cracked out animals. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of ironic that I say that, but I keep kukris, which are also, you know, you catch them on a good day and they're fine. You know, I can open my, I can open my uh, cage up and she's completely normal. Or my male comes right up and looks right out the wind at, at the door and it's fine. Or I can open the cage up to feed him and he comes charging at me with his mouth open and <laughs> goes blast out the door and lands on the floor, and you know, then trying to wrangle him just turns into a fucking nightmare because <laughs> they can be crazy. I've heard their I bites hurt. And I haven't been bitten yet, which is a big plus. Um, are, are cookeries uh, rear fang? I'll be honest, I don't know much about them uh, at all, obviously. But are, are they rear fang like similar to Boyga? Or the, uh, kind of, sort of. So they get their name because they have a trio of very large teeth shaped like kukri daggers towards the back of their mouth. And those specialized teeth are used to break open and cut open eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, There is one document that I have found that claims that they have a duvernoise gland, which would make them, you know, rear fanged venomous. But I also have a half dozen documents that say that there isn't one. They literally are just have these enlarged teeth for breaking into eggs. And, you know, so the jury is out. Um, A couple of people I know who have been bitten say that when they do get bit, they bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed, which makes me think that they're, you know, even if they don't have a duroys, they've got something in their saliva that acts as an anticoagulant. Yep. <clears throat> I, don't, I just remember well, how, Dan Maliri talking about them on his YouTube channel, and I think he said bites just, they hurt. 
<laughs> yeah, and well, they they shred. They when they bite you, apparently what they'll do is they'll bite and then they'll twist their head. Oh, so they gosh. basically give you they basically give you twin spiral cuts. Jeez. Oh, and yeah, like I said, and apparently it just bleeds like crazy. And um, so I. I use a hook and I get those, I've got those garden gloves that have got the latex yeah. on the fingers. Anytime I'm working with them, I use those because I don't want to, I don't want to tempt it. How, how big are your animals? Um, they're not terribly big. They're. Mm, so they look like they're about the size of an adult hog nose full grown. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, you know, okay. So they're, they're, so they're not a very large species at adult size. No, they're only about two feet or so. I got you. I got you. But I can make it even more difficult, man. <laughs> like I think big, or bigger, larger snakes in like the six foot region are like the easiest for me to handle. But like I have the hardest time with the little tiny ones that are fast. You know. It is interesting to see those sort of. I notice I'm seeing a lot more of them and people keeping them. So it is kind of interesting yeah, to see like a weird off the wall species like that sort of getting some traction. And I think they got a lot of interest um, a couple, three years ago. So the European breeders exported a bunch of these bright red ones mm -hmm. from Tiamen Island. And I think that caught everybody's interest. And then, since everybody was interested, started asking for them. The importers tried to get what they could, and the import animals are brown. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of people kind of lose interest in that whole brown thing. Um, but whenever the red ones come up, people still snatch them up. But I picked up some of the brown ones. Um, you know, I've got some of the red ones too. But I picked up some of these brown ones and. Again, this is a really, like, I think you can do a lot with these because, you know, once I got them acclimated and they've shed out a little bit and they've had a couple of years to settle in, there's, you know, one of mine has got these really nice purple undertones to it. The other one has got sort of a rusty orange undertone with salmon pink highlights in it. Mm. So... I think you could probably do some selective breeding here and make some really nice quality looking animals from this wild stuff. Right. So are, are they strictly egg eaters or, or do you feed them like a variety of stuff? Um, they're not strictly egg eaters. Um, they're... They're a very strange species. <laughs> they will... I was just looking at pictures of them because, like I said, I really haven't heard much about these at all. So I'm yeah. looking at them. They are incredible looking animals. Yeah, they will eat all kinds of things. Um, those teeth are especially adapted to eat eggs. Um, in a couple of locations, they have been found to um, be turtle nest raiders. Wow, and see, and that would make sense. Like, that would make sense because the how leathery those eggs are. Right. You know, it's yeah. not like a regular bird egg where it's just like you you crack it a little bit and you're good. You know. Right, and they're they are probably more designed to be cut and open things like lizard and snake and turtle eggs for that reason. Um, mm -hmm. I had a I had a 
a slug from a ball clutch and I threw it in with one of mine and I mean, it confettied the outside and consumed the entire inside. Wow. Um, <laughs> but the, the females for these ones that, that raid turtle nests, they will stake out a nest and they will defend that nest against other snakes. So they basically hmm. have a nest that they live off of for as long as they can until either the babies hatch or they consume the entire nest. So, I mean, they're basically um, the, the raccoons of the snake world. Yes, um, <laughs> but they will also, and this has been documented in captivity. I haven't heard it documented in a while, but I'm not sure how you could document this in the wild. They may actually be active scavengers, too. Um, a keeper gave his a mouse, and the mouse was too big. And the snake used its teeth to cut the gut open, and it basically stuck its head through the slit that it made, consumed all of the internal organs, and then just left the empty husk of the mouse behind. Oh my god. And (laughs) (laughs) what in the world? And, you know, so I could totally see how that would be something that they could do in the wild, too. You know, if you come across a dead animal in the wild, just slash it open, bury your head in there, and snag a bite or two while you can. Um, So even, like, with their eggs, they don't – do they swallow any eggs whole? They always just tear them open and eat the inside? They just eat the inside, yeah. Yeah. Um, I – I have a video I need to post up of mine. So I feed mine mostly quail eggs. And then every fourth or fifth feeding, I take one of the micro links from Reptilinx and I stick that in there, basically under the assumption of some of the eggs that are getting in the wild are going to have some type of developing embryo in them. Yeah. So back to the developing embryo. Um, to make it easier for them, I do crack the eggs open a lot. I mean, obviously when I'm putting a Reptilink in, I have to. Um, but every once in a while, yeah, I'll throw the egg in there and they'll have to chase the egg around and find a way to pin it and get their mouth open and cantilever to crack it open, you know, enrichment for them. And it's funny as hell to watch them do that. Um, but yeah, I've got like, I mean, it takes them a while. I think the video that I have is almost seven minutes long and the male, I mean, he, he pushes the egg around, he, he figures out where the top is, he sticks his head in, he sucks out most of it, then he pops his head back out, and then he goes back in, drinks the rest of it, lifts the egg back up, it's hanging on his head, he decides to then eat the reptile link from the inside <laughs> out. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. They sound like an extremely interesting species to keep. Oh, they're incredibly interesting. Um, wow. They're and, odd. Like, their body reminds me of night adders. Yeah, like just weird, like oddly shaped heads and oddly shaped bodies where there's no like distinction from the head and the body, and they kind of remind yeah, me of the scarlet very... snakes we have here. Yes, um, I would say that they're probably sort of a combo of a scarlet snake and a hognose snake in that regard. Their heads are very blunt and short, no neck, um, and they're very fustorial. They they dig a lot. Uh, my wild caught ones. I hardly see them out. Um, If I do, it's like either right before lights out or right after lights on when they're still just kind of getting, you know, creeping along, doing their last minute crawl around. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the reds that I have are captive bred. They're a little more ballsy and will be out during the day and hanging out. Um, but yeah, they dig. They live underground a lot, you know. So that makes me curious you know, about scarlet that, snakes, though, because scarlet snakes are egg eaters too, and I wonder if they have a similar dentition. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. But right. how about scarlets uh, also eat lizards and stuff too? Don't yeah, they? yeah, I don't. It's it, they're they're odd. I see people selling them online. I'm like. Why? I feel like that's probably the as far as like local species go, native species. That's probably the the most difficult and frustrating species to keep, just given their diet. But I have wanted egg eaters. Those look like a lot of fun. They are, um, and you would probably have more respect for them as a chondro keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very similar, especially in their fragility. You need to be real careful with them because the slightest bit of mishandling and you will kink the ever-loving hell out of them. Mm. You know, they're as fragile as a baby chondro, but they stay that way all through their life. jeez. Oh, Where do you get your quail eggs? I just buy mine at the Asian supermarket. No. <laughs> I was gonna say you can get them at most like kind of the off the wall food places, like Asian supermarkets, and yeah, yeah. or the you know the the hoity toity supermarkets where everything's obnoxiously expensive. Um, but you can also find people who breed you know quail just around. My mm-hmm. um, oh, uncle, I guess. My stepmom's brother. We'll call him my uncle. That works. Um, he's a falconer, and he raises quail to train falcons off of. Mm-hmm. Now, he's in Montana, so that's not really convenient for me. Um, I had him ship me some once when I moved and couldn't find an Asian supermarket near me that had me. But, you know, if you can find burgers in your area or, you know, people who do backyard chickening, some of them raise quail just for the same reason. Yeah. And, you know, they don't need all those eggs. So getting the quail eggs is generally easy for the babies. The real problem is you need a steady supply of finch eggs. And those are a lot harder to get. Yeah. Yeah. And it's either that, or you have to syringe feed them. And that goes to really tiny, fragile baby snakes that are like, you know, the size of a baby garter snake. And if you mishandle them at all, you kink and break their spine. Is there a reason they're that delicate? Um, that you know of? One of it, I'm guessing, is probably dietary. They're not getting as much calcium as, you know, something that would eat mm-hmm. whole prey items. And the other thing is they're, contrary to what a lot of the people who keep them, they're semi to fully arboreal animals. Which again, that would if make you stop sense and you think about it, yeah. If you stop birds. and think about it, they're eating bird eggs, and you know, I got in a few arguments with certain corners of the hobby about this early on. Of you know, one, you need to keep them more arboreal than terrestrial, and two, you can't feed them year round. You know, feed them two, three months of the year, and then stop because outside of domestic chickens and stuff, what bird lays eggs? all year round 
they have a boom and bust cycle. It's, do you notice, though, any issues? I mean, they're already, they're not beefy snakes by any means. No, they're not. But if you feed them, I mean, if you feed them too much, they turn into big fat slugs. You know, they get like that, that chin. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what I'm talking Like, if you've ever seen an overfed corn do, snake or king snake, they've got that, yeah, they've got that like big fat bullfrog chin. I'm talking about yeah, me. They'll get that, and they'll get the you know they'll get the the fat rolls on their side, which you know, Same. a snake that's you know three feet long but only as big around as a pencil, and has those fat rolls just looks ridiculous. So how often are you feeding them though? When you're feeding them in season? When I feed them in season, I feed. So I do one month where I feed an egg every other week one month where I feed a week, an egg every week and then one month every other week. And then I do once a month for the final two months. And then I shut them off. They shut off in August and they don't go again until April. Huh. Yeah. I've always been tempted to give them a shot, but I know we, I, I don't know. Do we even still have an Asian grocery store here? Rots? There was one over by Lowe's, uh, but I don't know if it's there anymore. I think there's um I can't I can't remember what the place is called, but I feel like there's one over in Bluffton. Mm. Um not far from one of the tanker outlets back there. Uh there's a firehouse by it back there mm. in Bluffton. Uh, I think there's a I've never been in it, but I know it's like an odd food place and I can't remember the name of it, but I have the feeling you could probably find something in there. I don't know. We were talking about this with Billy the other day where he was talking about how he gets uh, frog legs and chicken hearts and chicken feet and quail eggs, and he he varies up his diet with a lot of his stuff. And That's, that's a great thing to do. Yeah, I mean, right? chicken hearts, like, I want to get me some of those just because I want to beef up my Baird's female again before I put the male back in. But, like, that's... I mean, I, I vary diets on most of my things. I've got a lot of the, uh, the reptilinks. Uh-huh. You know, like that's mostly what my blackhead eats. Those and chicks. Uh, my brettles, my male. I mean, he he does the same thing. He eats quail chicks and reptilinks. And I've got all different kinds of them. So I've got the frog, and I've got the quail, and I've got the guinea fowl. Um, some of them I've got, like even the fruit and veggie mix that they say are better for things like tegus and stuff. Yeah. You know, my mindset is well, if it's eating prey items, those prey items are going to have things in their stomach, right. and sometimes those prey items are going to have things like berries and fruits and veggies in their stomach. So, why not do something that's got like 15% fruit and veggies in it mm-hmm. on a rare basis? You know, it's not all the time, but every fifth or sixth week, get something like that and it gets them some of these trace nutrients that they probably aren't getting normally. Well, I was right. just thinking just in terms of like, say you know, you, for whatever reason you run out of rodents, and you place an order, but you need something to hold you over until you get those, like stuff like you know chicken hearts and frog oh, yeah, legs and, and stuff like that. It's perfect. For that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the the chicken hearts, the chicken feet, um, the fish. I mean, you can get whole tilapia, you can get brim, you can get all kinds of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean seafood items. You can get like squid. You can get snails. Yeah. Things that most people probably wouldn't think about, but I'm sure a lot of stuff would actually eat if you gave it the chance. And it would probably be better for your snakes, too. 
Oh, I mean, yeah. Billy was even saying like a a pack of like six or eight pairs of frog legs isn't that expensive, and chicken hearts aren't aren't expensive. And quail oh, chicken, legs aren't chicken expensive. hearts are stupid cheap. Yeah, so I was like, dude, that's like a prime like have it on hand, change it up every once in a while. But then when you like really need it, you got it right there. It's a you you have easy access to that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, do you think something like chicken hearts or feet or frog legs would be okay to give to someone like a carpet python? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't hesitate to give that to offer that to any of my stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I like if you're giving them chicken feet, I would try and trim the nails off of them. But... Yeah, right. see, yeah. I mean, chicken feet are the only ones I probably wouldn't bother with, just because I feel like yeah, there's, I there's feel very like little nutrition in that. Yeah, yeah, it might be yeah, a good even then, calcium I mean, supplement of some sort. It would be a good calcium, but also you could think of it as like, um, you know, they've got all that like rough scaling on them and stuff. It's for lack of a better term, it's like fiber for a carnivore. It's stuff that doesn't digest really well, but because it doesn't digest really well, it gloms on to any extra crap they've got in their intestines, and it helps Rough you push it. that shit out. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't think of it that way either. Yeah. This is why we need more doctors on the show, man. <laughs> this is a house of learned doctors. Yeah, yeah Billy sent a picture of... Uh, I don't even remember what snake it was, but he had a... He had a chicken foot in his mouth. But man, it looks oh, that so, was it one looks of so his, wacky. Uh, it was one of his cave cave racers, yeah, I think, or something. Cave racers, it was really odd. Yeah. It was uh it was so it was crazy looking, but sure enough, man. Yeah, it looked it like it was eating out. like a witch's hand. It was very bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll send you the picture. It's pretty wild. Looking. Yeah, it was creepy looking, but it was cool. <laughs> do you now you, you are... got me wanting to feed my carpets frog buddy. <laughs> and do it. I mean, I'm sure they would eat them. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a good way to change it up. And maybe even chicken hearts, you know. Yeah, I'm going to look into chicken hearts tomorrow. Might have to make a stop at, at the grocery store. Because that's something you could find pretty much anywhere. That's not even like a specialty thing. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can get those at Food Lion, dude. Uh, yeah, and if they, even if they don't have them up front, just ask the butcher, because they probably have them in the back. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you got to have your giblets for your giblet gravy down there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've always been paranoid. I guess with chicken hearts, I think I would feel a little better about it. But I tell you, I've been paranoid as hell about giving any of my carpets um, anything avian because after our episode with Harlan Wall, because he told me about how dis- you know, diseases can go hand in hand, certain diseases can go hand in hand with reptiles and birds, and it's like you can transfer some of that stuff. So ever since he's told me that, I've been kind of, kind of off about anything you know with feathers, but hearts might be a, might be an option. It it depends on what you do. Like I I would feel safe with commercially raised quail, right? Because if they're being commercially raised, you, the, the people are going to be, you know, they're going to be doing their due diligence to make sure their birds are healthy. Right. So you're not really going to have to worry terribly much about avian chlamydia getting into your snakes from the birds. Yeah. Now, if I found, you know, <laughs> I mean, have to say if I found a baby bird sitting outside my garage the other day on the ground, I that could have said ugly. it. I mean, oh God, yeah. it was ugly as <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have very easily thrown that into the Brettles tank and it wouldn't have lasted a second or the Blackheads tank. But I'm, there's no way in hell I would throw something like that in there because I don't know what's on that thing. Right. 
Yeah, as much as I joke about grabbing the rabbits out of the yard because they're eating my pitcher plants and stuffing them in the blackheads cage, I never do it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually had somebody some years ago um, ask, they had a baby peacock die. And they're like, do you want it to feed your snakes? I'm pretty sure I even asked Justin about it, but I was like, ah, no, that, that thing's been outside. I'm, I'm good. I, yeah, and if it just up and died for no reason, the question there is, yeah, what why, did, yeah, why did it die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, you can freeze it. I'm like, no, nah, good. So I listened to the Reptile Gumbo podcast, which you were on recently. And you were talking uh, about the beak snakes, and it kind of reinforced my belief in us not taking rear fang stuff seriously enough. Because April got bit by hers, and it sounds like it was pretty interesting, because there's not a lot of documented bites from that group, from what I understand. No, there aren't. Um, April is the second person I know in the U.S. to have taken a bite from it sounds like it was a pretty um, good one too. Like not like a just tag and let go. Like it was like a legit. Yeah. Non-mode. And the other one I know was a similar thing. It was an overreactive uh, food response, and they had the same kind of you know swelling and stuff. Um, I got I recently got into a Facebook pissing contest in a group about you know that whole family of snakes where a guy posted, you know. You hear all these people, there's a report written by a guy who's been bitten by all kinds of things, and he's known for just letting things bite him. Well, I went and let my, and it's like he's sitting there trashing on somebody who's been bitten by one. At the same time, he's bragging about how he got bit by one and he had no reaction. And so based on his determination that he had no reaction, the other guy's report was just straight up bullshit. And so he's tired of people saying that they're rear fanged and that they're venomous. And... I came back with this is dangerous and you should not be posting this because there are other people out there who have posted that they're venomous and, you know, they do have a documented Duroy's gland. So you can't even, you cannot say that they're not. Right. Um, Like this isn't something you can argue. Like this is fact. Like this isn't my opinion. (laughs) It, it, it frustrates me that we see this with people where, you know, well, it's not that big a deal, or it's not. It, 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 it's not it's only a minor thing, and and it, it happens everywhere. Um, I had somebody message me today, screenshots from, and this is, I guess, again another just thing about this hobby that drives me nuts. It was an an advanced herpetology husbandry group, and this woman was talking about how she got bit by a hog nose, and it really messed her up. And what bothered me the most out of it was she was like, well, if I try to get him off sooner, I probably wouldn't have been envenomated, but I definitely learned the hard way, and I just have a healthy respect now. And then she posted a video of it happening, and it's like, why you should have had a healthy respect for it long before you got envenomated, and you shouldn't have videotaped this thing happening. As soon as it got on you, you should have gotten it off. Yeah, you know, 100%. it's and you know, hognoses are probably the worst culprit in the hobby because they've had you know two decades worth of people selling them as a major pet with people saying, oh, it's no big deal, oh, it's no big deal. They're not really venomous. They just got these big fangs to help pop toads, and yeah. it's not. It's only it's only for use against their prey, and that's bullshit. I mean, it's 
it's a toxin. And I, I can actually speak from experience from that. I had a I had a decent sized female hog nose latch on to one of my fingers, like got onto the fingertip and like was trying to eat the tip of my finger. And it took everything I had to get that sucker off, you know, and my entire finger swallowed up and turned purple. You know, like it, they are it is is no joke. I was actually gonna bring that up before you started on it. I, I personally I think they are the number one species in the hobby that is you know downplayed as far as that goes i know um i know somebody who's actually hospitalized from a hog nose bite you know and caused a horrible rash and all, all types of stuff yeah and i think more people need to remember that with them and i mean yeah. yes they're cute little boogers and they've got that great little face that makes them just adorable and precious but they're not here, put it in your six-year-old's hand and walk away. You know. Yeah. Right. I said my 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 eldest has got three of them, and she knows. You know, don't let her don't let him bite you. And she knows that if it does, to get it off immediately and not let the damn thing gnaw on you. Yeah. You know, and I'm not worried about her having them because I know that she is good about it. And I know that if anything does happen, she's going to work fast. And if, you know, if there is any kind of reaction that it's going to be able to be taken care of, but, you know, we've seen a lot of bites by hog noses. So we generally have a fairly good idea. I mean, are most of them life threatening? No. Do some of them put you in the hospital? Yeah. You know, Jake's friend is a good example. Most of them don't, but they will still mess you up. With the Raphiophis, you know, three documented cases that I can find, four if you count the guy who said that he got bitten, nothing happened. That's not enough information for me to feel any level of comfort. Yeah. Pulling them, you know, and I'll admit early on, I was a little bit more cavalier with them. But now that I've done a lot more research into them, those, those same gloves that I used to hold the kukris, it's what I used to hold the Raphiopas because, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to it's gonna act as a barrier and keep them from getting through. And, you know, I hook them, too. And they're, you know, they're fast and they're, I don't want to say necessarily intelligent, but they're very visually oriented. I mean, they're basically coach whips. Right. In Africa. And, you know, you know how coach whips are. They, you, you encounter one, they'll, they'll sit up and look at you. And they'll think about it before they take off. And they, they think about where they're going when they take off. They don't just run fleeing in no particular direction. They know where they're going to go. And Right. And, I mean, the guy who who said, you know, nothing happened or whatever, it's like, okay, nothing happened to you, but there are people who have been bit by vipers and a lapid who there is such a thing called a dry bite. Yeah. You know, like that, that is an actual thing, buddy. You know, like it's, yeah, it's, that's just silly, man. And I mean, I have, I think it was the word on a snake line, guys. They, they were trashing the whole, it's like a bumblebee sting. Yeah. They're saying <laughs> that's just not, it's, it's not a good way to analogize it. And in one respect, I see where they're coming from, but in another, I think it's, it's quite accurate because, you know, like bees, you don't know if when you take a bite, it's going to, if you've never been stung by a bee, 
you don't know if you're going to be one of those people who it's going to be a good day or it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. And so in that respect, I do think it's like bees. And, you know, even if you have been stung by a bee and nothing has happened to you, it's cumulative. And so every time you get stung by a bee thereafter, you don't know if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Mm-hmm. So you try and avoid being stung by bees, not just because it hurts like a son of a bitch, but because the next time you get stung by a bee might be the time that you suffer anaphylactic shock and go into shutdown because that toxin finally did you in. I feel like that's a big part of, you know, even, even, you know, venomous all around is you don't, you don't know how your body's going to react. You know, it's like people around here would say, oh, copperheads aren't that bad. You're not going to die from the copperhead bite. You do not know that. Right. You know, your, your body could go straight into anaphylactic shock because you are extremely allergic to that. And I feel like that could very well be applied to something like, like the rufus beaks. You know, you have no idea how your body's going to react to to that venom. And I think the answer to that should be, yes, you're not likely to die, but is the possibility very real? Absolutely. Yeah, and even if you don't die, it could still mess you up pretty bad. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, a copperhead, you know, if you're going to get bit by anything in the United States, you probably want it to be a copperhead because that's the one you're most likely not going to have huge issues from. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm going to go out and let myself get bit by a copperhead because because it's the least likely to give me issues. If I see a copperhead, I'm still going to treat it with the same respect that I would treat, you know, a coral snake or a cobra. If I were crazy enough to run into a cobra, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to admire it from a distance. I'm not going to go get down in his face. I'm not going to go poking him on the head. Well, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why I tell people when they ask me what the most dangerous snake is, that's the one that just bit you because he was messing mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> I've just come to the conclusion that that's just that's just an impossible question to answer. I tell people all the yeah. time, there's like there's entirely too many variables for me to be able to yeah, even answer that. It, yeah, I always tell people, you know, it, it frankly it doesn't matter if you don't if you don't know, leave it alone. Yes. You know, they're not, none of them are dangerous if you go around them. You know, if you stay, you know, plenty far away, look at them, take pictures and be on your way. Don't try and catch them. And they're all harmless. But they're all, they can all be potentially dangerous if you want to be stupid. Yeah. If you're, you know, you're sitting there poking them or trying to smash their head or trying to grab them and move them, you know, that's when, that's when it turns around and it messes you up. That's when I, that's always one point I try to make to people is, you know, like more often than not, a lot of envenomations come from you trying to kill the snake. Somebody trying to kill the snake and they get envenomated. That is how most envenomations happen. There was a video yes, the other day know. floating around of a guy who shot he was down in one of the Hispanic countries, but he had just decapitated a, some species of rattlesnake and he went down and grabbed it. And sure enough, that thing, like it was still alive, latched right, yeah, on, the like head. Re- yep, right just, on his, just the right head on his turned index around finger. And Yep. Yeah, it's like that thing's still fully loaded. It might be, it might be dead. Those may all be nerves going, but that sucker is fully loaded with venom. And that's, I mean, that's how easy it is. Like, yeah, it's doesn't take much. Nope. And you know, if that thing's dead, you know that thing gave you everything it had. You yeah. Know, it, it's not. It wasn't like a. You know, okay, screw off. I'm gonna pump you with a little bit of venom and then. You know, be on your way. That thing, if, it's if it's reflex. chopped off, that is everything that animal's got. 
you know and i also i also hate the whole thing about babies being more toxic than adults because they can't control their venom like i that just uh drives me nuts that's a whole other a whole other topic it's just one of those old wives tales that gets carried on yeah you know? yep. no, I mean, it, it sounds good yeah <laughs> and we see going back to the rear fang thing and i feel like i've been saying this a lot lately but like boiga you know, that's another one you see people just, just kind of chilling, and it's like, yeah, it's the chillest cyania of all time, but it's also a huge kissing one. Kissing them on the head. And yeah, we saw that earlier on Instagram. Face. These chicks, like, Ugh. kissing their boyga on the head, and I'm like, oh, I wish that thing would just latch onto your lip. Yep. See, like, I, I cannot imagine doing that to a boyga, man. Like, because all I can see is it just suddenly deciding to go schizo right there on your face. Oh, yeah, yeah dude, when like, they're done, I, they're I done. Just, like, Im- I just imagined it, like, biting her eye or something stupid you know like that would uh like mine like, i'm sorry but I, I can't condone kissing snakes period i don't care i don't care what it is don't put your mouth on your snakes <laughs> that's just me but yeah. Did you see the video of the girl in in one of the asia countries she was like they were at some sort of event and this guy was holding this like seven foot retic and she goes to do that and it just it grabs her right on the freaking oh yeah I Don't. saw that. That made me cringe hard. <laughs> yeah, that's. But I'll oh, bet God. you, fifty plus people probably did that exact same thing before her, and there were no problems. And that's yeah. why when I see and like the snake just got tired of it. These educational things where they like have like kids and stuff, and they're like letting them get all up in its face. Um, that just makes that makes me sort of that makes my stomach turn a little bit because it's like God, you just. You don't no, know no. when it's going to happen. I don't care how tame it is. Yeah. Like, even my Brettles, my male Brettles, he's, like, the chillest thing of all time. But anytime the neighborhood kids are, are checking him out or anything like that, like, they're 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 messing with the back half, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's what I do, too. When I when I take my snakes anywhere for things, it's like, okay, here's my snake. Who wants to touch her? You know, I've, I've got my blackhead. You know, she's a good seven feet. That means I got three and a half feet of tail yeah. for you guys to pet. And I'm going to hold the three and a half feet ahead above my head because I'm not letting her anywhere near you guys. Anywhere. Well, I mean, if you think and about it, she's you don't... just a baby doll when she's out of her cage. All the, you know, but you know, there are days like I'll open that cage, and if she's in a weird mood, I I, I was spraying her cage down, and she came out, and she seemed fine, and I was just going to let it happen, and then I she started doing the head nudge thing that I don't know if you've ever had to deal with blackheads. <laughs> They, they like they just they'll push their head against you. I've seen um, Wilma's King do snakes. it. Yeah, yeah, Wilma's will do it. King snakes will do it too. They'll like they'll push their head against you, like almost like they're testing you for a second. And as soon as she did that, I knew what was going to happen. And I dropped the sprayer and I went to pull my hand back. And as soon as I started pulling my hand back, I just saw that mouth open. And I clapped <laughs> my hands gently, but I clapped my hands on her head to keep her mouth shut. Yeah. And then all seven feet of her just wrapped and basically handcuffed me. Oh my god! So then I had so I had to get so out of my snake room and get my eldest, you know, to help me unwind this seven foot snake that decided suddenly that my hand was lunch for no reason other than today was the day where she decided my hand was lunch. I mean, yeah. people forget too. I mean, you don't know if if these not even necessarily kids, but people in general, you don't know if they have like a pet gerbil at home, pet rat, you know, whatever. You don't know yeah. if they went and ha- played with that before they came out. Yeah, I mean, so people, you know, people out there have hamsters. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it can be the weirdest thing. Um, my gray bands. Gray bands are not your typical king snake. They no. don't bite. They're not they methropeltus. But I, um, 
before I developed my allergy to crustaceans, I'd gone out to the crabs here and I came back and I reached into the cage when I got back, completely not thinking, when your hands smell like cracked crab, they go fucking bonkers. Really? <laughs> I, I mean, that snake just mauled me. She ripped me up. Jeez. See, my dad you know? had a few that would that would do like a feed response. But it was very rare. I mean, it was like maybe like twice that it happened where he'd reach in there to change out substrate or something, and they were like, they just grabbed him. But that that does make me it's, wonder it's if rare. you couldn't use crab for like scenting for babies. I don't know. I'm I tried, sure you probably I could. tried tadpoles that had no interest. I tried a bunch of stuff. I tried tuna. I tried canned chicken. Did you try crab? No. Well, there you go. That was kind of the last <laughs> thing I thought to use, considering they're <laughs> landlocked. <coughs> but then again, birds get baby chondros going, so that doesn't make any yeah. sense either. But... Or you could just breed the superior Morelia that just takes frozen thawed fuzzies right off the rip. I could if I was a basic bitch. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't survive. So, no, nah, man, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think clutches could get easier than last year, but this year's clutch is easier than last year's. It's Must be nice. Blood. Yeah, it is nice. Talk to me when you breed something that requires skill. Yeah, I will. Actually, that reminds me, Jake, you were talking about the uh, No Beginny lines. Oh, yeah. Um, you should talk to Derek Roddy. He has some really nice No Beginny animals. Does he have No Beginnies or does he have the New Guineas? Because I know he has New Guineas. Maybe. I thought his were No Beginnies. And he just started calling them new guineas because everybody's like, what the hell's a Nova guinea? Yeah, no, I, I don't know if he has Novas or not, but I know he does have a distinct line. And to be honest, I don't really know much about them. I don't even know if anybody knows exactly where they came from, but he does have a, a line called the a new guinea line. Yeah, his, uh, but, his line, I think, goes all the way back to the original like new guinea ones that Dave and Tracy brought in. I think like right. he got them... His his original animals, I think he got back from them in like late eighties, early nineties, and he's just continued to work with them since yeah. then. Yeah, because I mean they are di obviously different from you know your average IJs or poplin carpets and your Nova Guineas. Like they they look completely different, you know. They're because Billy Hunt actually has has some from them, I believe. I, well, at least I think so. I might be wrong about that. But they're yeah, they're really cool looking snakes. I'll give them that. But yeah, novas are novas are sweet. But you got tree frog chirping back yeah, there, Smitty. Outside the garage door. It's a good sound. I wish I had some around here. Oh my god, they're everywhere, dude. dude you walk past, after everywhere. a heavy rain, you walk past any like even large puddle or ditch, it's deafening. There's so many of them, like thousands. It's on well, a lot, a lot of them, a lot of them are toads. Like you go and anywhere fresh water right after a rain, and I mean, you almost can't talk to the person next to you. It's so loud. There he is. And then you get the then you get the barking tree frogs that just oh my god. It might be in the garage somewhere, actually, over in the corner. Yeah, that thing's loud as all get out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We had one sitting outside our bedroom window that would do that at night, and I was there was a couple nights where I was I was ready to go hunt him down, and teach him a lesson, move him. To I a tell you, spot. I, I don't care how many times I'll see him. I don't care how basic people think they are. I geek the fuck out every time I see a gray tree frog. 
I absolutely love grapefruit. The same when I was in Atlanta, man. Whenever I found one of my pitcher plants, I had so much fun. Oh, that's so cool. I love grays, man. I, that, that's the one frog I've really considered getting into. But do you have any plans to get any other rear fang stuff? Like you ever want to get into Boiga or? Uh, well, you've already answered that, not, but. Not terribly. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe down the road we'll see. Um, I mean, right now the only plans for anything is uh, waiting for the Meraki that my kid's getting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember talk, you talking about that with uh, James. Yeah. What, scrub python? Cool. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, so um, but were you were you there when David brought his to Carpet Fest? Or was that the yeah. year before you came? It must have been the year before you came. For Northeast? Yeah. Yeah, no, that wasn't. Yeah, that was the year before I went. Yeah. So David brought his David brought his Meraki pair up. And um my kid was just enthralled. Um oh, I don't blame him. Yeah, and I mean she hung out down there and she she held that the male, which was the smaller one, and you know, smaller is relative. I mean, he was still like an eight, nine foot animal. Oh yeah. Um, but she held him for like half an hour, and it was, you know, I, I joked with David. I was like, you may have to fight her to get that animal back. <laughs> um, but it made an impression on David, and so he hit me up a little bit ago and said, you know, that pair produced, and I remember how your kid was into it. So if if it's something that you're okay with like to give her the chance wow. and you know that really impressed me with david that you know that he remembered yeah and that he wanted to help nurture that that interest along i mean that would that would be that would stick out i think to a lot of people yeah. it's like oh man a kid with with good taste you know they <laughs> yeah, know they know I, what's up yeah i love that man i i have nothing but good things to say about david yeah, I think he is an awesome dude. I've got the the I I have a male Maroki, and uh, that's that's who I got my mail from uh, about a year year and a half ago ish, sometime. But yeah, I I love my little scrub man. And you know, and David said that you know he's he's going to work with her to make sure that she's, you know, she knows what she's getting into and she knows how to handle it. Um, and he's making sure that it's eaten well and ready before we transfer over. So, you know, it's, I think it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting experience because that's a lot of snake. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, if you want to talk about a snake that thinks a lot, you know, talking about coach with man, it, it is so cool to just watch scrub pythons to me, you know, if you just watch them and pay attention to how they are, you can just like see the gears turning, like when they look at you. Yeah, you know, like they—they're planning four moves ahead. Like, what am I gonna do? You know, and this, oh, they're—they're they're incredible animals. Don't get me wrong; they can be little assholes. My Echo is—he's—he's <laughs> he's something else. Like, now that he's gotten some a little bit of size on him, he's gotten more and more confident and more and more uh, stuck up. And uh, I'm about—I'm about to have to break out some gloves to actually get him in my hands to. You need to send Get me a picture of him. I want to see how big he is think. now. Yeah, he just had a bad shed, but once I get all that off, or he sheds it all off, then I'll uh, I need to get some good pictures of him. But he's 
He's getting he's getting some size. He's eating weaned rats now. So, oh wow! Yeah, he's he's getting there. I'm about to upgrade his tub once I get some set up. He's about to go on 110 with uh, some a bunch of perches and a whole thing. I so, need to get that Nauda from Phil still somehow. Need to what? Need to what? Get that tannin bar from Phil. Yeah, I, dude, I'm so jealous of you. I wanted that. He hit me up about it, and I was so mad. I couldn't just throw him every penny I had. <laughs> oh, I want tannin bar so, so bad. But. Well, I, I, I agreed to take it for us, buddy, because I was like, we'll find for a us? female eventually. Oh, yeah. Joint project. Yes, that's right. That is, that's worked that out so well up. for us in the past. <laughs> he said so sarcastically. Fifth time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do it right this time. But uh, but see, I, I I I know Scrubs a little bit better than Amazon, so I, I think we'll be I think we'll be all right with Scrubs. Yeah, my my, my Corrales days are over unless I end up getting my hands on some Russian burger eye or uh, some sort yeah. of emerald species eventually, but not anytime soon. Yeah. Somali is the new focus. Yeah. Pretty much maxed out on space at this point. Yeah. But we are at an hour well, and a half. Well, I was about to say, we're about at our point. Jakey so needs Travis. His, Jakey needs his beauty huh? sleep. Yes, that I do. Travis Jakey doesn't Travis. have tomorrow off? I actually do have tomorrow off. Oh. Though. Yeah, Which? actually I do. Yeah, because uh, it's 4th of July being on Saturday. I got tomorrow off. So. Must be nice. Yeah. yeah, it is nice. Yeah, working that working that government job. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same thing. I uh, until like last week, I was like, I didn't even realize that I had today off. <laughs> <laughs> Opened the pay period for my paychecks, and I was like, Oh, hey, look, I, I don't, I don't have to work on Friday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely, definitely has its perks. But man, how how can uh, how can people find you? Um, Facebook, just Travis Wyman. Um, I'm not the motocross racer, so <laughs> don't don't go talking to him about snakes, or he'll probably look at you funny. Um, or you know, as as Justin alluded to at the very beginning of the show, with my baking expertise, I am snakes and bakes on Instagram. Red velvet is not chocolate. Awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you take away anything from this episode, that's what people need to be protesting velvet. that. <laughs> Red velvet is not chocolate, damn it. Uh, I don't know, man. You, hear you heard it from the man himself. Red velvet is not chocolate. <laughs> Katie, Red velvet lying. is chocolate, Katie. <laughs> it's not. That doesn't mean anything. What are you talking about? It doesn't mean anything. White chocolate is really he's chocolate. Katie, lying. Travis, is that true? Is white chocolate just butter? Is white chocolate just? It's not just butter, but yeah, it's it's mostly just sugar and fats. Oh my god! It's not really chocolate. My life well, is a lie. You just, yeah, you just. No, it's not. Yeah, no, she's right. It is. Oh, oh my god! Stop! Stop! <laughs> oh my god! You just ruined Justin's white chocolate. Whole world just came crashing down around him. 
I have a great ranch dressing recipe, and yeah, the number one ingredient in it is mayonnaise. It doesn't taste like mayonnaise. And buttermilk. That's because you put buttermilk and spices in it. It's a lot thinner. How come it's not as, it's a different viscosity than than mayonnaise? Because the buttermilk thins it out. Duh. Uh, Maybe you act like you've never cooked. Before. We never. You act like you've never made ranch from scratch. I Come haven't. On. I buy the Hidden Valley stuff like a normal human being. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do too. I did Red not. Valley cake that. is chocolate cake, though. You have to put cocoa powder in it. That doesn't That's mean it's chocolate. It that just chocolate. means there's some chocolate in it, but that doesn't make it a chocolate cake. It's a chocolate cake dyed red. It's chocolate cake in disguise. No, I'm not. I'm not believing it. Not believing it. Well, well, there's also people that don't think Rooster's Peak snakes are venomous. So, and true story. <laughs> Red velvet is not chocolate, and the Earth is flat. There you okay. go. All right. Oh, oh man. I'm not a flat Earther, for folks, the record. The wedding you know, was just called off on the show. I have you a, I have a brain. That she normally bakes the cake for you, Justin, so you might not want to piss her off. <laughs> There you go. You want red velvet cake on your birthday? I'm going to go ask the baker lady at Publix if it's actually chocolate or not. She'll know. She's the real pro. You have the doctor, the man, the myth, the legend right here telling you it's chocolate. And you just... There's a little bit of chocolate. James Lewis is already making a meme about it. I'm sure he is. You know what? (laughs) Lewis... He's mad that we stole his question last week too, by the way. About the what burn question? about the burnout. Oh. Uh, He's well. like, Justin stole my question. It's like it was a good question. Had me think. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even know he posted about it before we talked about it. I know, because you don't pay attention to anything else. Dude, I <laughs> am not on social media all that much. I'm sorry. I get on there to post my snakes and I usually He so. posts pictures of his pop ones and he's like so F2 West Popwin Carpet Python. It's like, what else would it be, Jake? That's all you have. I don't have any F2s. Thank you very Whatever. much. Some filial generation. Dude, you know what? Just It's like me up. saying this is a you know, this is a, a Biot Green Tree Python. It's like, well, no way. Yeah. That's half your collection. You know what? This is dude, a corn just... snake. I'm kidding, buddy. You don't have to be an asshole about it. Jeez. Let me get one of them babies. <laughs> oh, after you, after you just trash <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you just like totally shit all over him. I do. Yeah, just uh, while, you're getting, while you're getting rid of those shitty snakes, <laughs> let me get one. Mm. Yeah. But thank you very much, Sir Trav, Dr. Trav, Sir Dr. Travis, for coming on this show and gracing us with your presence this was a and very ruining very my life. fun <laughs> this was a very fun and educating episode and i, I thoroughly enjoyed it so i thank mm-hmm. you sir thank you for having me on gentlemen it's a pleasure yeah, it was a good one we'll, we'll have to have you on for a, a round two in the future well, certainly all right man well have a good night you as well later bye well, episode 87 in the books. It is. Once again, 
this episode was brought to you by the two best sponsors in the world, Steve Snake Chewary, Venom Hot Sauce, Venom Hot Sauce, and MP Cages and Exotics. Sean Wagner Eye. Sir Wagner Eye. He's the guy. The, the, the killer of cages. Just a mastermind. So check out those guys. Check out Steve Snakeshwary. Like I said before, I think he's got a sale going on for hot sauce. So if you've been wanting to try it, but on the fence, now's the time. And after you go do that, go go hit up Sean and get yourself a new rack or cage. You, know, you don't want to spoil your babies, right? Spoil your snakes. Go 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 deck them out with a new house. You got a weird rack you want built, like Phil's venomous rack. Oh, Sean yeah. will do it. That Dude, that is, rack. That thing is sweet. cool. Yeah. It sucks that FedEx had to screw up and lose some of the the parts, but yeah, yeah. FedEx is FedEx. It, yep, it is what it is. Can't change them. Yep. But thank you everybody for listening to yet another episode of the Herpeticulture Podcast. As always, I am Jacob Ross of J.O.B. Murray. I am Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. We will, and we will see you all next week. That's right. All right.